0: Hello, Stackers, and welcome to another special Creation Corner episode. We are entering uh, the end of our summer period of special content, and I'm excited because today uh, it's a double whammy. First of all, every late summer, early autumn, my family and I get excited because that means not only cooler weather on the way, but also the beginning of the Maryland State Renaissance Festival. And so this year we went as normal. But not quite as normal because we were able to meet some friends from the show for the first time in person, and so today I'd like to welcome both Mike and Sarah. If you can just take a moment to introduce yourselves, Mike.
1: Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Mike. Uh, I'm the husband of Sarah, and we live down in Virginia. So it was a good time to go up and meet Rhett and his family for the Renaissance Fair, which was my first time going. So.
0: Great. We'll talk a bit more about that and see what your experience was and whether it lived up to expectations. But I really enjoyed getting to meet you in person. And Sarah?
2: Uh, Hi, I'm Sarah. I have been on this show before. Yeah, I got turned on to Stack of Dice from a mutual friend, as I explained in our last episode. And through listening to the episodes, found out that we lived not that far away just through context clues. And so I was really excited when we were invited to the Renaissance Fair uh, to get to hang out. And I can confirm that Rhett and Meredith are just as cool in person as they are on the podcast. Um, Which
0: means not very, but that's okay. <laughs> I
2: disagree. We had a wonderfully charmed experience with you guys. And we were talking about it and can't wait for the next one. Great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited, too. And so glad you were able to make the trip. So, mm-hmm. Mike, you already mentioned... Uh, that you had never been to a Renfest before. And so I just wanted to get your take now that we're a month away or so from when you actually came to visit, which is hard to believe. What did you expect of it on the way up?
1: Um, that's kind of a loaded question. Uh, so you have a lot of, I guess, stereotypes or ideas about Fairs just from an outside culture perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my expectation going in was pretty well met with what I saw uh, and experienced overall. You know, people dressed up in Ren Faire costumes, uh, various cosplays. Um, yeah, I'd say, you know, in a short answer, my expectations were met as far as what I was personally anticipating seeing, um, but they were better than the stereotypes that I thought I would
0: see. Great. Yeah. No cardboard armor that we saw, (laughs) but we saw some pretty elaborate get-ups too. Mm -hmm. And I I was really impressed with some of them. Now, Sarah, I think you mentioned while we were together that, uh, that you had come younger, Mm -hmm. correct? You had been to this particular fair.
2: Yeah, I think it was sixth or seventh grade. Um, I had been to that fair. I had some friends bring me up. Um, so really like, you know, 20 years ago, (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, I had honestly I would say it was smaller than I remembered because you know okay. when you're really young and it's your first time going to a renaissance fair especially like for me and what I was really excited about at that age like it was just Narnia for me you know yeah. I walked in everyone's in the costume all of the shows seemed much more elaborate and much more magical and the feel just felt huge and then for us, like, it was still all of that, but mm-hmm. I remember walking through and be like, I remember more here. <laughs> yeah, but when this you're, was a
0: longer walk before. <laughs> right, but when you're bigger and, you know, take
2: more steps, like, it's not the same. Um, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I spent a lot of time at the Virginia Renaissance Fair, which is near where we live, and it's not nearly the size or scale or magnitude. It's mostly a field at a vineyard with a bunch of tents, whereas this place mm. had built buildings and roads and is dedicated space for... They're unfair
0: yeah I mean to me it's just just as much fun just to be there to be around the atmosphere as it is to go and do things and see things Mm -hmm. and uh, I just have so much fun going uh, the smells in the air the sounds of people laughing and having fun people dressed up like we've already talked about Uh, we saw one person with a not animatronic but like a Mm hand-controlled dragon puppet mounted on his shoulder and he was making the head swivel as he walked around and of course his arm was hidden uh but it, i just thought wow that's that's intense <laughs> yeah we saw some really neat stuff so i wanted to again in the spirit of being a creation corner episode i wanted to get your take as people who are effectively visiting for the first time uh, obviously mike that's you but sarah that's kind of you after a 20 year hiatus of uh, things that you notice that you could use as inspiration for whether you're a player or a DM, putting into your game and helping to enrich the things that you are trying to set out, either as a character or as a, as a DM. So this is all free form. Feel free to chip in with ideas as they come. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you experienced and how that might influence things.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the the big thing right out the gate, <clears throat> which is a pun because I'm going to yes. talk about the gate, <laughs> <laughs> is uh when we got there uh for those listening who've not been to this particular experience they have this massive gate that has an upper deck where they had actors and playwrights you know running through a skit there was king henry and you know he was going through his uh divorce with one wife and this new marriage with another wife et cetera, so forth um i guess i wasn't quite expecting that you know You think of a Ren fair, people just bringing hodgepodge tents and making some homemade food. But this really had a strong amusement park vibe to it, much like you would find at like Busch Gardens or places like that, which was really surprising and entertaining. You know, the entertainment was fun. They didn't just open the gates and let you walk in. It was like, no, you, you showed up early enough. You got to participate in the skit with some chanting and laughing. And yeah, so yeah. and so that whole experience from the get-go was not what I was anticipating experiencing.
0: Yeah, and it's something that I forget every year. We get there early enough and we hear the same routine, but it sets the mood, gets mm-hmm. people ready to go in because I don't know how many people are out there, several hundred, I would say, all waiting to flood the gates <laughs> as soon as they open. And so you've got people that are basically standing around, so why not try and entertain them? Mm-hmm. But I think from a dungeon master perspective, one thing that that could inspire me to do is maybe rethink the way I handle leaders in my world. Mm-hmm. Uh, very often, I think rulers tend to be locked away in some inner chamber somewhere, but why not get them out? Why not have them interact with the people, especially if they're trying to you know, build a reputation for friendliness and openness and charity and, and giving, uh, absolutely. You should have rulers out mingling with the people, getting to know them, still maintaining something of a, of a barrier between them because of their elevated status. But yeah, that's, that's a great observation. Well, and to kind
1: of piggyback off of that, like I'm primarily solely a player with DMT, Mm um, DMing, you know, might be something I try in the future, Uh, But right now, you know, I'm just fixated on being a player. But even then, like from a player's perspective, in the few games that I've played, one of the things that I think about if I were to DM or or perhaps other ways of experiencing the town is more often than not, your party goes into a town, you kind of get the spiel. Okay, this is like a small to mid-sized town, maybe a couple hundred people. They've got a mayor and like a courtyard and there's like... The post board that has all the quests on it or whatever but the interactivity as you're saying with the leaders to the commoners especially at the gate was very announcement like and yeah. i don't i have never really thought about oh yeah you know there would be town squires and people like proclaiming in the town because the town has to get their news from somewhere right um, and more often than not it's like we just stroll into town and hope to find the people that know things, but realistically, most people would probably know the general gists of, uh, of any type of news that's going in and out of the area.
0: Yeah. And that also brings up the notion of, you know, like, uh, message boards, not so like the pillar where they just put up new announcements of things, uh, that, that would be of interest to the common or, you know, the, the, the majority of the populace. How do people get news around? That's not something i 've really given much thought to, yeah, I like it, so I guess we've kind of had some leader interaction with Chiswick, good old Chiswick because <laughs> uh, he he tended to be out mingling and doing things, so it it wasn't a conscious thing.
2: Can I just tell you, I was way more excited for Tira to be reunited with Chiswick than I was for her to be reunited with her father. <laughs> Like they come in and like she's meeting her dad and they're going into the first city. And I'm just like, where's Chiswick at? Like, when is she going to get reunited with this guy? And it was everything I hoped it would be.
0: Good. Good. That is our ongoing.
2: <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. I believe.
0: <laughs> we need a shirt. Yep. I'll wear lines. it. Yep.
2: <laughs> Give the fans what they want. <laughs> I am the voice yeah, think- of the people.
0: I think at this point, Meredith has just resigned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great to take this chronologically. We we did actually meet you for the first time in person right outside the gates. And you gave us plenty to uh, to latch on to because, Mike, you were wearing a, a Stetson hat and a cloak. And Sarah, <laughs> you were wearing a green dress and had purple hair. And so we it made it very easy for us to locate you in the crowd. So from there, the gates opened and we poured in. You know, just what's next in your mind for standout events during the day.
2: Well, if we're going chronologically, I don't know if this is a DM thing, but I thought the uh, security snafu was great. <laughs> <laughs> Here you got Rhett bringing in his illegal water.
0: Yeah. You tell oh, him that he I can't am.
2: have his water, and then they just walked away and didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's great.
0: But, yeah. So uh, yeah, um, make sure you pay your security guards but- well. <laughs>
2: But more in line with what we're talking about in world building, uh, the first thing we did was wander over to the juggling act. Well, we went to the musicians first while we were waiting – not the musician, the magician mm-hmm. – while we were waiting for um, your daughter to run her costume. And, I mean, I love magic. Like I don't even try to, like, analyze or figure <laughs> out how he's really doing it. Like, I just turn my brain off and let whatever happens, happens. Um, yeah. So that was wonderful. But I think my overall takeaway, like, we went from the magician to – the juggling act, which was hilarious. And then later yeah. we saw the bagpipe show. And when we were looking um, later to look up that bagpipe band, I kind of looked over all the different acts they have. And it just struck me the different forms of entertainment that are out there when you don't have television and YouTube.
0: Absolutely.
2: Um, so like if I'm running a game, because I do DM, like my entertainer is always like a traveling band of bards. And they'll play their lute and sing their songs and tell their stories and get their gold. But, I mean, there was jugglers and acrobatics and contortionists and um, instruments I wouldn't have thought of. You know, the bagpiper said, like, if you were in this time period and you're at a, fa- like a, a square gathering, it's the bagpipe that's making the music because it's loud and it carries and everyone can dance to it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I never would have thought of that. And you even have bagpipe proficiency in d – And the only player I know who's taken it took it as a joke so he could play it badly for intimidation, right? But it was a beautiful instrument. I mean, just blasts right through you and that whole, like, body sensation. It really had me thinking about how I can expand, like, who is here to entertain and what does it feel like to watch somebody, you know, throw knives at each other like the jugglers were doing and, you know, their whole act and spiel. Like, how do you work that into the game to... Uh, create an experience for your players because that's what we're trying to do at the table.
0: That's a great, great point. I think one easy way of handling it is to, after some research, put together a randomized list that mm-hmm. you can then turn to whenever a party rolls up into town, mm-hmm. uh, and just give them that breadth of options. Now, with my luck, I would roll the same thing every time, <laughs> but that's even that's fun because then you get the same group, and oh, hey, we remember you from the last town, and. <laughs> We didn't like the way you were looking. You know, whatever, you can play with that in so many ways. Uh, one thing entertainment-wise that I actually like to do with especially new players in this vein is uh, with plays. Mm. Because new players tend to be a little skittish about acting as another character, one thing that I have done in the past a couple times is I've taken an excerpt right out of Shakespeare for however many players I have. So I find a scene that has say I have four players at the table, I'll find a scene that has four different characters in it, and then I'll modify the names so that they actually match up with the fantasy world and then give them each the script and then have them read it. But they're on stage and they're being judged for their performance. And so they have incentive, uh, whether it's through money that the that the crowd might toss onto the stage or whatever, to really ham it up to get into character and to to do a a good job and so it's it's doubly fun because it is shakespeare but it's not and Mm. uh, and the characters have a chance to flex a little bit and hopefully get into the parts and that's been fun
2: i think that's a really good idea because a lot of the intimidation with role-playing comes from not knowing what to say when you give them the lines, and like all of your brain power isn't going towards what cool thing am I going to say, it's now going to how do I say this cool thing that's already there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing I like about like when we play in Sojourner's Awake game, and he gives us the opportunity to write our recap from our character's point of view. Now I have a moment to showcase my character where I've thought about who she is and what she's going to say and how she would say it, and I can flavor that more. I mean. I think the thing that traumatizes me the most in role-playing games is the improv. I'm a writer. I like to write and know what I'm going to say, and I get really stressed when I have to improvise.
0: Yeah, and Mike, on the other hand, lives for improv. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) He's great. I don't know about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you roll with it anyway, and don't seem to have any issues with it. We have a couple of players in Sojourners Awake that rely on the stream of consciousness approach to, <laughs> to interaction, and it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, the juggling act. I mean, we look forward to those guys every year, and uh, it's just fun. The patter, all the all the interactions they have, um, it's just so much fun. And of course, with the crowd participation, that makes mm-hmm. it even more fun. Uh, and so I'm glad you you found that interesting. And certainly there's always room for entertainment in the world. I love what you said. We are so used to having entertainment in our pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are connected. We don't have to think about how we're going to be entertained because we've got it within reach. But, you know, there is so much value to giving your brain time to come up with its own entertainment. And then, of course, going in search of something, there's there's something freeing and motivating about, you know, I'm bored and I don't want to be bored, so where am I going to find something fun to do now, looking for that entertainment? Uh, there's so much value in it. uh okay, so after after the juggling, after you know that, we then moved over to the food area, mm-hmm. and I don't know if anything there particularly jumped out at you.
1: Well, I was going to say, <clears throat> upon entry up to the food area, which is: Yeah, I was surprised, uh, kind of going along that vein with with the entertainment. Two, in particular with the space, like everything was spatially aware so that even though there was a massive horde of people funneling through two main gate areas, it never felt overcrowded. Like I Mm -hmm. felt like everybody had the ability to kind of spread themselves out without being on top of each other. Um, So that was something that was kind of stood out to me because normally when you play you think of like these larger areas and there's almost like a bubble around players where Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you only interact with the things that you want to interact with. But one thing I did notice is that even in the spatial awareness, there was moments where you were passing near shoulder to shoulder with people. And it got me thinking, I'm like, you know, as a DM, how might you be a bit more mischievous toward your players like if they're like for me for example i you'd already mentioned i had my cloak on so all of my personal belongings were within that cloak mm-hmm. so if anybody were to pick at me they would i would have to be absolutely distracted and stupid and they'd have to be super good to get underneath my cape get to my area know where it is first and then get out right, right. um which makes the cape a very versatile form of clothing for not just weather protection and warmth but also you know protecting the goods that you have on your body and I'm I was thinking like you know as a player how how fun would it be if the world actually interacted with you in ways that you didn't want it to like what if there were pickpockets in the towns that you go into and every once in a while like you bump shoulders and you have to roll a percentile dice to see whether or not you caught the sleight of hand from the from the crazy old man that looks like he's incapable of accomplishing much walking away with you know five ten pieces of your gold or your whole money back
0: and i mean you as a dm you can get creative if if somebody has been relying on the cloak as the means of protecting the goods underneath just have somebody hold the cloak closed, walk up to you and grab it from the front. And now your arms are stuck inside. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's ways to approach it. Uh, two things though, leave it to the design guy to notice the layout of the park. (laughs) (laughs) I love architecture. I love looking at old cities and Mm -hmm. certainly there is a lot to be said for well-designed places. And I've had a couple episodes about city design, uh, in creation corner episodes previously uh, it is absolutely important to think about how you lay out open areas in particular because uh, cities and towns are all about convenience we we gather together because it's more protective but we design our spaces to facilitate the various activities that we're looking to accomplish whether it's gathering whether it's selling whether you know whatever the case may be we put together our spaces for purposes. And so making sure that stuff makes sense, uh, kind of like in a kitchen, when you're looking at a house to buy, you want to make sure that the sink and the refrigerator and the oven are easy to get to and not going to interfere. If you're trying to move from one to the other in the same way, you want your cities to have that same kind of flow to them and make sure that they can handle. And sometimes, I mean, you may have a poorly designed city on purpose. Uh, Maybe the city has outgrown itself. So there's way more people crowded in than than the city was originally designed for. Maybe it's crumbling. Maybe it's falling apart. Uh, there, are, there are certainly interesting things. And of course, like you were moving on to with clothing, for the most part, at least for males, <laughs> clothing tends to be all about function, uh, how things work. You know, we have lots of pockets and we just love to store things. However, uh, that's not always been the case. There have been some very fantastic and inefficient forms of clothing. Look at the shoes that some of the courtiers wore where they had these gigantic rolled toes that had to be held with chains up to your knees so that they wouldn't flop over and you'd trip on them. Or women with their big dresses and, and so forth. Again, it was a show of presentation rather than functionality. So if you can take these things multiple ways but there's a lot of good to be found in spending time looking at both city structure and clothing as you put together your game world. Yeah, so very good points. I love it.
1: Well, and even while there, I bought a uh, a money pack.
0: <laughs> you did. <laughs> to... You did. Have you had a chance to try it out?
1: Uh not as of yet. Uh, but I do have some ideas for implementing it, but but yeah, it was it was fun to be immersed in a world that was yesteryear for history, but is completely not us yeah. in relation to our experience today.
0: Yeah. And the story you got your clothes from uh, was really neat too, because it was jammed with all sorts of things.
1: There, Yeah, it was... I don't know if that's how it would have been <laughs> in the actual era, but, um, but yeah, there was a lot to choose from. Um, I did notice one thing though, uh, as you were saying, there was a lot more... Uh, female clothing uh, mm-hmm. than male clothing. Most of the shops you'd go, and it's like not like inappropriate male to female clothing, but just more dresses or things geared towards a female audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, men's clothing tended tended to be more basic, but I yeah. did get a nice pair of pants. Um, you know, they're just simple cotton pants and a cotton top. But even that, it was nice, especially for someone who doesn't know where to get these things. And you look at Amazon or whatever, and you're like, hmm, I've ordered something before and it's been too small or whatever. It was nice to go to a place and find something that was handmade, but also fit.
0: Yeah, and obviously a a huge emphasis on bright colors, which if we look back, probably would not have been the case, at least not for the majority of folks, more earth tones and simple clothing like you're talking about. But uh, it sure makes a statement when you step out and you're wearing, you know, like a, it's got gold thread or brilliant colors. And that makes you stand out. So, yeah. Uh, as, as you're putting together NPCs and you really want to make an impression, look at the clothing.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think of, uh, yeah, dyes. Mm-hmm. You know, dyes are, are an expensive thing. And, you yeah, know, it takes, it takes time to kind of siphon Dies from whatever source you're getting them from. So yeah, for sure. A lot more earth tone would be a regular thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts about that experience?
1: Yeah, not. I was going to kind of cater into the feed because you had mentioned it earlier. Uh-huh. Um, I was astonished by the feed. So I have coworkers that live up your way and they mm-hmm. have gone to the Ren Faire in the past. Um, and one of them was telling me, hey, you know, the feed is going to be really expensive. Just kind of give yourself a heads yeah. up. So I, I was <laughs> yeah. like, OK, I'm already planning to spend X amount of dollars for clothing. And I guess I'll accommodate X amount of dollars for feed. Mm-hmm. But I was really surprised by how inexpensive the food was. And I was surprised by the quality of that inexpensive. It was delicious. I, was, I told Sarah, I was like, I want to make this at home. <laughs> they were like the uh they were like the country uh country fried steak fingers uh-huh. i was like man <laughs> oh if i had this every day
2: my attempt to make him country fried steak afterwards did not live up to the reputation Oh no, yeah no. we have to go back to the drawing board and try again <laughs> yeah um but it was good i mean as far as like you know, reviewing the fair for me with celiac disease, there was a lot of options of food that I could eat. Everything was some sort of variation of food on a stick. Yes. Um, I don't know if people really ate their food on a stick or if that's just become like the fair food thing. Yeah. Um, in my head, you know, you think grand fair, you think people with giant turkey legs. Um, but there was not that there was a lot of different options, a lot of different things. It didn't I can't say like, because I was all concerned about getting food that I could eat. I wasn't thinking about how do I work this into a game. Um, mm-hmm. But something I did notice that was happening at the fair that I've actually experienced when I've been in El Salvador um, was all of the food shops were lined up in their food district. And then mm-hmm. everybody was standing out there hollering for you to come to their restaurant, not someone else's restaurant. Right. And I think that is something that you would see. Um, you're like well I'm going to go find the tavern okay there's six taverns and there's six barmaids out there and they're all trying to convince you that they're the best one for you to go to and you know like come in come in welcome like we've got this special you know hollering and of course all of the people who work at the Renfair have to speak in that Shakespearean (laughs) language and so they're you know coming up with witty funny things to say to try to convince you to come to their shop
0: right and uh, something that Meredith and I talked about in the most recent Creation Corner episode is variance, variation. Mm. Uh, so not everyone was selling the same thing. Yeah. And that's, that's another way to stand out. Uh, if I'm selling the exact same thing as everyone else, that makes it much more difficult for me to attract folks. But I find ways to make it different, whether it's I only sell this particular thing or I, I sell it, but boy, it's premium quality and nobody else can even touch it. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's ways that you can build up flavor Ha ha. in your world through the food that is offered by mixing it up and having fun with it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, oh, I'll have to see if I can find it to put into the show notes. A while ago, I ran across a, I think it was called the food timeline. And so it's just a listing through time of when this particular food seems to have entered the diet. Mm-hmm. And that could be a neat way of looking for dish ideas to inject into your world.
2: Yeah, it's a whole website. I've seen it referenced for writing things. Mm-hmm. I can't yep. remember what it is, but I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's not 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 a very pretty site, no. at <laughs> least not the one that I saw. But uh, it's functional, again, <laughs> and uh, and it does its job well. It conveys the information very clearly.
2: Well, and food is something that I stress about in real life as well as like in the game world. Um, sure. Because like, for me um, – i'm just a really picky eater and what i do like has now been taken from me and that i can't have gluten and so the most stressful chore that i have is meal planning just mm-hmm. for me and michael to meal plan three days like we always joke that i would photosynthesize instead of eat like i don't like food <laughs> and then we get into D and i've planned encounters and i've planned like npcs and interaction and then we get to the tavern and they're like well what's on the menu I don't know something you like? What do you want on the menu? It's stew. It's always stew. But that really is a place that like you can flavor the game again, mm-hmm. especially if you're meeting at a table and you make what you're serving to serve at your in-person table. Yeah. Um you know there's D&D cookbooks and all that, but like there's a lot of fun that you can have with food and people who are not me love food. Yes. So there's yeah. a lot to be done there.
0: Great. We did not do the typical thing, normally, I think the jousting arena occupies mm. pride of place there at the at the renfest location and normally, we do go sit there, but it was a pretty sunny day and pretty toasty and I was wearing chain mail, which was weighing <laughs> on my shoulders, and Mike, of course, had his big black cloak on, so we weren't keen on that notion. Uh, so we didn't get to see that aspect of it but was there anything else that really jumped out at you as being oh we we did stop and look at the armor and weapons was there anything there that uh, that was interesting
1: Oh yeah Yeah the the jousting would have been fun but but you're right um it was a it was a hot day in August and uh uh the armorer wow right <laughs> like most often you think of An armor setting or going to a blacksmith as a player it's like oh yeah i just walk in there's this guy who's got sweat just profusely pouring from every single (laughs) pore in his body and he's got this (laughs) massive hammer and like big arms and you know we play monster hunter so you think of the smithy and we always crack the joke you want something making (laughs) and you know he's just like he's like hammering away on an anvil with a with a blade on the table Man, that experience was cool because not only did you have the Smith there, they had that, um, they had a vocalist sort of like the food making a pitch for why you should buy a sword from them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and like the banter going back and forth between the Smithy and this one girl, um, you know, who was making an appeal for the sword was, was incredible. And I never thought about that. Like, I'll tell you of an instance as a player in a game, you know, I I played a character who was of a noble upbringing. And so like swordsmanship and things were kind of taught him uh, at an early age. And we as the group went into this new town and, you know, as a player, I was like, you know what? I want to get him a second sword because initially he had just the one and I was like, I want to have him as a dual as a dual blade ability and so we go up to this cart and the dm lays it out and he's like yeah there's this cart it's like a father-son and they just have like these wares and i'm like mm-hmm. okay and so i interact with this long story short like i get the sword and i like finesse it around but the interaction was like very basic not you know not you know casting sh- uh, shadow on anyone but it was like it was very basic uh interaction i was like okay i've got the sword Cool. And I added it to my backpack. But in the real world, like with the Renfair, this girl was, you know, we've got the finest steel in the land. And if it breaks, you know, it's under, you can return it for the life of the blacksmith. And then she's like, let me show you how great our swords are. And then she like took a block of metal and just started striking the sword against it. And I was impressed by one, the functionality of the blade. Uh two, there was no chipping or or breaking or fracturing in the blade itself. And it really like as a person, I was like, man, if I wasn't in the market for clothing, I might throw it down <laughs> for a sword. <laughs> a, couple, yeah. a couple hundred books for a sword. But uh yeah. yeah, that was that was really cool.
0: Yeah, one other thing that always impresses me when they do their demo there, they stick the sword point down into the table and then they bend the blade back. Mm to show how much flex there is in the metal. And then when they let go, it goes back to true to show how well-tempered the blade is. And that, to me, that's the most impressive part. Obviously keeping the edge after hitting the iron is also impressive because uh, you're, you're exposing such a, a thin, fine edge to the hardness of the iron. But man, just, just seeing the flex in the blade and then have it come right back to where it's supposed to be is, is incredible.
1: Yeah, and, and to that point, like you think of watching movies... When they have these prop swords and they're like, you can tell the budget and you see the, the sword is like flimsy <laughs> and, and <Yeah>. wobbly. <laughs> but but what's funny is like, that's actually not that unrealistic. Like you mm-hmm. don't want a sword, obviously that floppy that you would see in certain movies. But again, too, like you got to think like you don't want a sword that's so rigid that if it does meet something that is of equal or greater strength value will, will cause it to shatter. You want that sword to have some give and take. Right. And uh, yeah, that was that was something that was unique. Because normally I think, you know, with one of my characters, has dual swords, like they're strong blades and they just fly. But no, I'm like, no, next time I play, I'm like, I'll have to describe kind of the bend yeah. of the sword as he swings.
0: Well, it's always impressive to me, too, to see archery in slow motion and how much bend mm-hmm. there is in the arrow coming off the bow, the archer's paradox. Uh, I mean, it comes off in, in a significant curve, and as it flies, it wobbles the other way and then comes back. It's it's impressive. But, yeah, the materials that were used for these weapons was the result of hundreds of years of experimentation and figuring mm-hmm. out the exact right properties uh, to put into them for for optimal performance, yeah, it's it's impressive. A lot of science. Well,
2: and I think that's something that um, you've brought into Stack of Dice really well. I mean, I don't know a lot about weapon details, but from the very beginning in Funmore, you gave um, Wamberbash that like Damascus steel sword, and then he gets the Panavis, which I only finally recently looked up, and I still can't tell you what it is. <laughs> um, but then, like when Peter was in uh, Dalwin, i think it was mm-hmm. and he bought his katana like you went into all the detail on how it was built and what it was structured and stuff like that and i don't know as someone like i think swords are cool but like i think they're cool because they're flashy and fun i don't know what goes into the forging of a sword so like to hear that kind of really brought like it made the experience more than like i go to the weaponsmith in the video game and the menu pops up and I select which, you know, weapon has the best stats. And I put that in my backpack, kind of like Mike described. It's like a, okay, there's a reason that this blade is a sword that I want. It's still going to do the, like if it was a long sword, still going to do like the one D 12 damage two handed. But like, there's a reason that this is a cool sword and I can be excited about my sword that I have.
0: Yeah. Getting characters attached to the things they carry is Mm -hmm. a lot of fun, if only because in later years, again, one of the reasons I love the Inven Stories series that we did of, hey, I got this from that one time, and I got this from that other time. It's so much fun to relive our experiences through the things we've gathered, and that's Mm -hmm. in real life, and that's also in game. So finding ways to make things stand out to the point that it means something to a player, even though it doesn't exist anywhere Right. Uh, That's just so neat. It's so much fun. I'm glad you found that to be helpful.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I did. And as we were talking, about, I'm like, yeah, I remember how you brought that into the game. And I think in a really, you know, well, I'm not completely caught up, so I don't know if there's better examples, but those stood out to me.
0: Yeah. I think the reason that we have been able to do that is because of the show Forged in Fire. Uh, It's a series that is long running, and it's just so much fun to watch these skilled professional blacksmiths getting in there and make an functional play. Some of it is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is not so incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the fun ones to watch because they have catastrophic failures and the yeah. bad things happen. Yeah. Good. Was there anything else that really stood out to you as being, Fun for the day. Maybe the weariness at the end of the day. <laughs> Maybe yes. how your characters might feel after a day of marching twenty miles to get somewhere. <laughs> I know I felt it with the chainmail.
2: I was wearing my nice walking sandals, mm-hmm. and I was still my whole body hurt afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't wearing a whole lot. You know, I just had that um, that summer dress on, so I wasn't wearing a whole lot of armor or costume. I almost wore my pink-haired wig and my elf ears so that I could go. As one of my D&D characters, because that's what I bought that dress for. But mm-hmm. um, I was like, ah, this first weekend in September, <laughs> we're not going to wear the pink hair wig. <laughs> I do think, like, my shopping experience was fun, because I don't own a lot of stuff. And at the very beginning, we walked into a store, and there was this beautiful blue brocade dress. And I really liked it, but it was a lot of money. And we walked through the whole fair, like, twice. And it was the only thing in my head that i thought about um so we ended up going back and my husband allowed me to make the purchase um <laughs> not that you know he runs my life but we do you know discuss if we're going to spend more than 50 dollars. Sure, it's sure. a good healthy habit to get it into is, absolutely but like the lady she put it on she put it on over my green dress and it actually looked pretty nice with the green dress but like just to, and she had to help me lace it up the front Um, Which when I try to put it on later at home, I'm like, oh, yeah, it was really nice to have someone help me lace it so it's tight and the laces were even. And then, like, I just felt fabulous. You know, we talked about the color of the dye. Like, it's a very rich teal blue. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just really did a lot to make me feel, like, sparkly and pretty. And, you know, that I didn't waste all this money I just spent on this dress. Um, Granted, I'll probably... I might wear it in a common situation. I've thought about wearing it to church, but I haven't quite, you know, <laughs> broached the subject yet. Um, because it is so like elegant and fancy, and I just think about how like how that affect my characters? Like, I don't always play female characters. Sometimes I play male characters. But like, how do they dress affect the way they live, and what does it say about it? like why do they choose the colors they choose? And like, what does that say about them? And we kind of talked about that with NPCs, but I think it's also relevant for your player characters. Like when I played Risman, my drow, I made a point that he always dresses very nice because he's always trying to make the best first impression Mm -hmm. because he knows that people are terrified of drow. So he's that guy who's always wearing the sports coat to like the football games or whatever, because he wants people to see him and think good things about him.
0: Yeah, that kind of makes me wonder uh, if there is a a benefit to uh, if if you spend a lot of money as a character on clothing mm-hmm. if the dm might not associate maybe even a temporary charisma bonus well, you <laughs> with, know, with a purchase yeah. like that as you
2: say that i think about it cuz like there are like clothes that are magically imbued but mm-hmm. like if i'm going to buy a pair of a set of fine clothing like when Tira got that fine clothing in um, the desert city or Rha- or It was jama that she got them. Yeah, when she got, they got the nice clothes in jama, and then you know that made them appear in a different way, and people treated them differently. Like that awful NPC kind of looked at them differently once they were dressed in his caliber, and then Mm -hmm. when she gave it away to that woman, and it meant so much to her to have such fine clothing. Otherwise, you know, I've got fine clothes in my inventory. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. My character Kiersey, the one I wanted to dress as, um. She's from the Feywild. She's a literal fairy princess. I wanted her garb to be strange and weird. But like it didn't often get, you know, kind of pointed out like, why are you wearing this weird, asymmetrical, colorful cut of clothes? Because I wanted her to stand out, but it never kind of came up. And I I don't blame that on the DM or the players. I just blame that on like, this is all in our head and our imagination. Mm -hmm. So we can only interact with what we know we're supposed to interact with. And that's my problem with maps. Like when you lay out a map, doesn't matter if you say what's on the map isn't necessarily there, or there's more on the map than is shown. The player will see what is on the map is what I have to work with, and nothing else. And I think that that I personally think maps limit creativity, they but
0: can. I also think Absolutely. they're necessary. So yeah.
2: I have a love hate relationship yeah. with maps.
0: Yeah, it's good for spatial awareness, but um, I I have purposely avoided maps throughout our audio podcast mm-hmm. uh, simply because they do tend to detract from players giving appropriate description if if you're just at your table and nobody else is aware <laughs> of the game that you're playing sure mm-hmm. uh yeah I, it is a love-hate relationship with maps i love them but uh when it comes to games they can be a bit problematic
2: yeah it helps the strategy but also the map i find when the map comes out and makes dnd feel more like a board game mm-hmm. than a you know collaborative storytelling experience um and i know that me as like a I came in on fifth edition, which does emphasize story and character over like tactics and dungeon delving. And now that I'm in the Twitterverse, I'm seeing that previous editions were more about, you know, you pull out your board game and it's just basically a board game that evolves with you. Mm -hmm. But that's just my preference. I'm a writer. I like writing stories and telling stories.
0: There are times where dungeon delving is fine. Times where tactics is fine. But overall, I think what makes the game special to me most special is, is the interaction of characters and mm-hmm. building a story together. So I'm glad we have found that in this game. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree. Story, 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 story.
2: <laughs>
0: any other thoughts, any other observations that you want to share before we wrap up this episode?
1: Yeah, I was just gonna make the quip of uh, with regards to charisma and clothing. I yeah, think yeah. of the uh, men's warehouse commercials, <laughs> the guy in the stunning suit and ties. Like, you're gonna like the way you look. I guarantee. It. <laughs> yeah, I, I guarantee it, and, it, and yeah. it's it's true. Like even in real life, like if we're going for a particular job position or or whatnot, you dress to you dress up the position right
0: and 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 you know when you look good and that almost gives you a sense of confidence that you don't normally have when you're just wearing ratty jeans and a t-shirt yeah you know Mm -hmm. you put on the three-piece suit with the with a nice vest underneath and everything and all of a sudden i feel like i can go anywhere and talk to anybody Mm -hmm. with the utmost confidence so yeah i I do like the idea of maybe even just a temporary bonus or only as long as you're wearing the clothing Uh, yeah Yeah. So it's something to play with possibly. Yeah. Yeah. That
2: would be a lot of fun. Like I feel fabulous. My charisma should go up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Uh, you gotta be careful with that, but
0: yeah.
1: I think one thing that stood out to me, uh, Sarah and I were talking about it as we were leaving and this kind of goes back to the traversal aspect of playing. It's like you, you don't realize how tired you are at the end of the day. If you're literally walking around in particular gear But we were also noticing like the dust, like the Mm. overall atmosphere of the town. Like even though everything like the stores were tidy and organized at the end of the day, man, my boots were were dusty. (laughs) I had a black cape. So, you know, all the all the brown dirt was showing. Um, And it makes me think of like, you know, if you want to role play more of like actually taking care of your person. Like personal hygiene. I know like mm-hmm. Michael as Wamba Bash has had a few instance, instances. <laughs> <laughs> but which are which are all fun, but it it makes you think like, yeah, you know, here you guys are walking around for several hours of the day. You're gonna you're gonna reek. And yeah. you know, that might take away from the nice clothing that you're wearing too. It's like, man, they look nice, but whoo. Get a bar of soap and go take a take a moment in the yeah. lake or something
0: <laughs> it would be an interesting mechanic to add you'd have to be a good dm up on details but uh, you know stealth penalties imposed the longer you go without taking a bath
2: <laughs> nope nope i am not implementing that no, Thank you. <laughs> that's too much to think about <laughs> it
0: absolutely is but i mean just just but imagine. it is true well, yeah.
2: well, your DL gives it- you away <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and it and it goes both ways, right? So, like, yeah. if uh, if an area has a dog or something, and you have a generic scent about you, mm-hmm. that dog's trained to pick up things. But if you like cover yourself in mud and make yourself filthy, you know you're you're masquerading your your scent.
2: Yeah, so it and actually, have
1: a, a adverse effect.
2: That is a good point, especially to be aware of what your characters think that they're good at. So I had a wizard in one of my parties, and he is like his whole magic was flavored on sound. That he manipulates sound; he uses music for his magic. So he should be able to walk quietly because he's so aware of sound. Well, he walks in and he fails his stealth check. I think at a natural one. <laughs> um, but rather than be like, "Oh, well, you failed because you made noise," which is what we immediately always think. I said, oh, well, you know, you walk in completely dead silent. Unfortunately, you trigger a light spell when you Mm. walk in because it's motion sensitive. So to be aware of details like that, now you're not failing in a way that makes the player feel bad. Like, my character should have been good at this, but they're not. Now I feel I'm upset because I didn't get my cool moment. It's like, well, you were as quiet as you needed to be. Unfortunately, you've been walking all day and that sweat was happening and the dog found you. So... It's not necessarily saying it's not your fault, but it's kind of adding more dimension to how the failure happened. Yeah. Um, as opposed to implementing a penalty like, oh, the DC is higher because you stink. Right. Um, I think that's how I would use it.
0: Yeah. That's one of the things that I have enjoyed learning in this podcast story that we're telling is um, how to tie story into the results on the dice. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you got a bad role. And maybe at an informal setting, okay, yeah, you failed. But being forced through the podcast to come up with a reason why you failed, I think that's really right. enriched the the experience for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that aspect of it.
2: Right, and sometimes it's fun. This is off topic. to Just ask your player, that's a failure. How did you fail this attempt? Which I know yeah. John has done, and he did it in that last um, Bookish and Brave with Hawkins. And I loved Hawkins, like, well, I'm a gnome. I can't make the big strides that the bigger players can. But then he's like, because of that, here's my solution. Mm-hmm. And he was able to take that failure and turn it around into a success, which right. I thought was really cool and well done.
0: Yeah. Certainly as a DM, one of the one of the early successes you can really draw upon is to not feel like you have to come up with everything. Certainly mm-hmm. push things back to the players get them involved with success and failure and description Mm. so that the world becomes theirs as well as yours. And I I think that's an important lesson for young DMs, especially to learn and veteran DMs to remember and resort to. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's good for this -hmm. particular episode. I really appreciate you both making the time. I know your schedule is often very busy, so thank you for making the time to chat with me and, put together some more thoughts about drawing upon real-world experiences to help influence how we play this game. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to do that because we tie things in, and it, it makes the world more accessible for players at the table when they can draw upon things. So stackers, we would love to hear from you if you have thoughts or comments on the things we've talked about, or if you have other things, or if you've been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival and have observations of your own, we'd love to hear about them. Feel free to reach us on Twitter and Instagram at stackadice or through email at stack.o.dice at gmail.com and hit us on our discord server. We'd love to hear from you in those ways. Hang on. Season five is coming and we are looking forward to having you join us at the table for that very soon right here at
2: stackadice. of Dice. Outro music.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and get the timed to clap. Uh, one, two, three. <laughs> and
2: one more. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Michael! I, I hit it at
1: the same time you did. It's not my fault there's a delay.
0: Ha <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>